Hi, I'm Ryan Becker, and you're listening to the Rock Hill Seventh-day Adventist Church Official Sermon Archive. You can find more information about our church at www.rockhillsdachurch.org. We hope by listening to this message that you are encouraged and challenged in your walk with Christ. Somewhat tired and a little exhausted, it's nice to enter into his promised rest. Amen. I look forward to that, and I'm so glad that it's here today especially. So, and I'm also so glad to see uh, so many of you here this morning because I enjoy fellowship with the saints just about more than anything, you know? People in the world are okay. It's good to see our brethren uh, in the world, but there's something special about being around God's people, you know, and... I am uh, really appreciative every opportunity that I get. Um, Friday mornings, I think I've said it before, you know, I, I go to a men's Bible study. About a hundred men from different faiths. Um, it's kind of unique. They meet in an oyster bar and we have been studying the book of Joseph, and that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. And waking up to get there at six in the morning, you know, sometimes is a little challenging, but it's just like coming into our father's house. You know, sometimes it's hard to get here, but once you're here and you receive the blessings of God, you know, I'm always thankful that I came, that I'm here. And I always receive a blessing. We were talking about um, God in Bible study this morning in Sabbath school. Who can know his mind? Who can understand his ways? And I think, um, I think uh, you were mentioning that the Word of God is God speaking to us, and that's how we learn of him. But we also learn of him from each other. Every time someone gets up and speaks on his behalf, the Holy Spirit is influencing that speech. And God is attempting to communicate to us, and sometimes we have to block her in order to hear the voice of God. Because sometimes we look at people's faults, we look at what they're wearing, uh, we might not like the way that they're standing or the way that they're speaking, and we miss the voice of God. And so I want to challenge us, as well as encourage us, to be more perceptive to the voice of God, more perceptive to the leading of God, because God truly is everywhere. When we look in nature, we see God. When we look in each other, we were made and created in his image. There's a picture of God in every one of us, whether we want to recognize and believe it or not. It's beautiful, absolutely Beautiful the way that God has created this earth, these beings, his light, 
and his love, how it all intertwines and works together. And that's something that I, I want to spend some time focusing on this morning. So open your word to the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 37. Book of Genesis, chapter 37. We're going to spend some time talking about Joseph, and it's going to be more of an interactive service because I've got some questions, and I want to uh, hear from you. What, what do you think about Joseph? What do you think about his story? Because truly, I think it applies to each one of us in a different way. So there in verse 1, the word of the Lord says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. So the Word of God says that Joseph, he was the youngest of the sons. He was the son of his father's old age. In fact, his father loved him more than all of his brethren. And so my first question this morning is, do you think that it was okay for Israel to love Joseph more than all of his brethren? It was not okay for him to show favoritism. Why not? Stirred up resentment. We're all created equal. He should have been more fair. God does not show favoritism. So, young Joseph had the deck of cards stacked against him from the beginning. The tone was established by his father somewhat, is what I hear you saying. Do we do that as parents sometimes? You've done it? Yes? Yes? Is, is it hard to hide it? Never tried, you were just in the open about it. You know, children are very perceptive. And oftentimes they can pick up on things even when we're not overtly doing something uh, that we shouldn't be doing. And so here is Joseph. He's the favorite of his father. And Joseph, what about Joseph? The Bible says Joseph comes to his father and he gives an evil report regarding his brethren to his father. Was Joseph a tattletale? 
<laughs> There's always one in the bunch. Constantly picked on. He was a child, 17 years of age. I'm going to go tell him my brothers. So Joseph was not without fault, right? There was a, a character defect, if you will, that we see presented here early in the 37th chapter. The father has faults, the son has faults, and what about the brothers? It says his brethren saw their father, loved him more, and they hated him. Hate is a strong word, isn't it? I try not to use hate about anything. To me, hate means a lack of understanding. I used to hate math. Right? I didn't understand math. But math is a great thing when you understand it. Just ask any contractor or engineer. Right? The Bible says that they hated their brother Joseph. Does this sound like a normal family? <laughs> because my next question was going to be, does it sound like a dysfunctional family? Yes. Are we, I won't speak for you, some of us in here are products of a very dysfunctional family. A very dysfunctional environment. We grew up in an environment that was not as it was supposed to be. And we see that that's true in this illustration that God is giving us here in the 37th chapter. Should we be more perceptive about what we do, how we behave, the effects that it will have on our children and our children's children? Amen. Okay. Well, I. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was. I was speaking about myself. <laughs> oh, I don't either. I do not either. Sure. Uh -huh. So Joseph had no discernment, is what you're saying. <laughs> that wasn't fair. Amen. The point is, is that we are not God, right? God is Alpha and God is Omega. God sees the beginning from the end. 
he has the advantage of his viewpoint of seeing everything all at once. We're human, mortal beings. We walk from day to day, and we only have the advantage of seeing what is the here and the now. And so are we prone to make more mistakes? Are we prone to not understand what it is that we are doing sometimes because we do not have the, the breath of being able to see into the future or to know what our actions uh, will cause or inflict upon those whom we love. The Bible says, continuing here in verse 5, And Joseph dreamed a dream. He told it to his brothers, and they hated him yet the more. He said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. So Joseph has a dream. Turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 27. Turn over a few pages to your left. Genesis chapter 27. And we know that uh, Joseph's father, who was Joseph's father? Jacob, the supplanter, the deceiver, right? He, he, how would you like to have that name? The deceiver. Do you think that his name had anything to do with his actions? I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? You don't think so? someone called you the deceiver all your life, you wouldn't maybe get, have a tendency to want to be a little deceitful? Correct. And traditionally, in that time, names meant a lot more than our names mean today. They named you uh, something to do with your character, or what they perceived your character would be. And so he was called the supplanter. And in fact, he grew up to live up to that, that name, that reputation. Right? Look here in, in verse 26, speaking of Jacob, says, And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now. We know this is the portion where he is deceiving his father to steal his brother's birthright. He says, come near and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee. And nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over your brothers, and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone that curse you, and blessed 
be he that blessed you. So that was uh, Isaac blessing the father of Joseph. And he told him, let the nations bow down to you. Let your mother and your brothers bow down to you. And now here is Joseph, and Joseph has almost an identical dream. Back over in chapter 37, in verse 9, it says, And he dreamed yet another dream, and he told his brothers, and he said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars they made Obeisance, they bowed down to me. And he told it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and your brethren indeed come and bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? And his brothers envied him. But his father, it says, he observed the same. Do you think his father was thinking back to that moment in time when he was receiving his blessing, his deceived blessing, and what was to take place in his life? Now his son is communicating the same thing to him. Shall I and thy mother was his mother alive at this time? Yeah, what happened to Rachel? She had, she had died in childbirth. So this is another wife to Israel. And he's making that reference again that I and your mother will bow down to you. How does God use dreams in the Bible? Messages, prophecy to speak to us? Do those dreams, is there fulfillment with those dreams that God gives to us? Sometimes. Have you ever, has God ever given you a dream? Has God ever shown you a vision of the future and what you are to become and what you are to achieve on his behalf? Has it manifested itself? Have you ever thought about that? Joseph had a dream, and in Joseph's dream, he was promised that he would be raised up, he would be elevated. And that there would be, the nations would bow down to him. What a powerful dream. But he was rebuked for speaking that dream. Let's look over to... Genesis chapter 39. I want to fast forward. Here in chapter 39, we know that Joseph's brothers, the Bible says they hated him and they sold him into captivity. 
they sold him to Potiphar, right? And he was taken to Egypt. And the first question before we get into the scripture that I want to ask is, what happened to that dream? It's beginning to develop. So he's going to be exalted through slavery. Who would sign up for that dream? Verse 1 in chapter 39, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And so Potiphar was the captain of the guards. In modern day times, it's, it's considered maybe he would have been the head of the CIA or the FBI or the Department of Homeland Security. He was a very powerful man, a man with great influence, a man with great means. And here he is receiving Joseph a slave into his household. Verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous as a slave in captivity. Sometimes our dreams don't necessarily take the shape that you and I envision. Sometimes we go through valleys in life, and it doesn't mean that God is not with us. It doesn't mean that we're not prospering. It might not look like we're prospering. It might not feel like we're prospering. The Bible says he was a slave. And yet he prospered. Verse 3, and his master saw, and his master saw, and his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Did Joseph have to tell his master that he was prospering? Did Joseph have to tell his master that his God was with him? What was it about Joseph that his master saw? There was something special about Joseph. Something was unique about his person, his being, that everything that he put his hands to, it prospered. Let me tell you something this morning, that there would be many a person that had expectations to be exalted, that when they were knocked down in the valley and sold into captivity, that they would have cursed God and said, let him die. Do we hear that language coming out of Joseph? Oh, woe is me. 
Life is hard. Things aren't working out the way that I wish that they would. Something didn't go exactly right. I better give up on this relationship with God. I better stop walking righteously. That's not the character of Joseph. Bible says in verse 4, And Joseph found grace. He found favor in his sight, and he served him. He made him overseer over his house and all that he had put into his hand. Joseph served him. He served him. Even in captivity. Even when things didn't feel so good. He served him. Bible says, and because of his faithfulness, because God was yet with him, even in the valley, says he was made overseer of all that he had put it into his hands. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessings of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hands. And he knew not aught what he had, except for the bread which he did eat. Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Joseph was good and good looking. And he was smart and he was faithful. He was well-favored. He didn't get that from his dad, Roger. I don't think my daughter gets her good looks from me either. Chapter 29. Turn to 29. Real quick. Verse 17. Speaking of Joseph's mother, Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well favored. His mother was beautiful. He was beautiful. He wasn't only beautiful on the exterior, he was beautiful inside and out. Joseph had just about everything, didn't he? He had intelligence, he had good looks, he was faithful, he loved God. Could aspire to be like Joseph. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and she said, Lie with me. The first part of verse 8, but he refused. But he refused. Drop down to verse 14. And she called the men of her house and she spoke to them, saying, See, He's brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. It came to pass when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried. He left his garment with me, and he fled and got away. She laid up his garment by her until his Lord came home. 
She spake unto him according these words, saying, The Hebrew servant which you have brought unto us came in unto me to mock me. It came to pass, I lifted my voice and cried, and he left his garment with me, and he fled out. Verse 19, And it came to pass when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spake unto him, saying, After this manner did thy servant to me, that his wrath was kindled. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that Potiphar believed his wife? Yes, yes, no. At first. I thought he saw Joseph. I thought he knew Joseph. I thought he trusted Joseph with everything in his house. It says that he, didn't, he even stopped accounting for what he had in his house except for the bread that he ate because he trusted Joseph so much. I don't have to count how many horses I have in the barns, how much, how much flour we have in the storehouse, how many slaves we have. Joseph has got it all locked down. She told too many people. He had to. He had to. You see, we're, we are thinking about Potiphar because Potiphar saw Joseph, but it doesn't say that Potiphar knew God. And so Potiphar is looking at this experience through worldly eyes. He's looking at this experience through position. He's dealing with this problem the way that the world would deal with this problem. To whatever conclusion that leads you to. He threw Joseph in prison. Verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. A place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in the prison. So what happened to that dream? It seems like things have deteriorated even further. You're going to be on top of the world. They're going to bow to you, to slavery, to prison. Why do bad things happen to good people? Was Joseph not faithful? Did he not trust God? At a decision. Christ, there was a decision with Christ, right? Who do you want to free, Barabbas or Jesus? Right? Do you want to crucify this man? There's a lot of parallels in our own lives, right? Yeah, when we're in the valley, do we have the option of following God and eschewing evil or turning our back on God? 
Joseph had to make that decision. He's in prison now. And he, he has a choice to make. Maybe my dream was a figment of my imagination. Maybe God really didn't mean that for my life. So maybe what I hear you saying, just maybe there was a character defect or something that needed to be worked out in the life of Joseph that by going through this process, taking this route, that God could work on the person that Joseph was. I'm just saying I don't know Joseph. I hadn't met Joseph. I, I, I tried to say that Joseph was a tattletale, but I'm not sure some of you believe that. Maybe there were other character defects that Joseph suffered from. Do you remember what happened to Moses after he smote the Egyptian? Where did he spend the next 40 years? And so here we have Joseph that's going through a process that's not very pleasant for a season. Beautiful. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> I love that. Amen. Let's move to Jeremiah chapter 29 quickly. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And whoever gets that, go ahead and read that for me. Jeremiah 29, 11. Familiar verse, everyone's uh, pretty familiar with it, I'm sure. So God says he knows the thoughts that he thinks towards us. They are thoughts of peace and not of calamity to give us a future and a hope. God knows each one of us intimately. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. He knows exactly what we need in every situation. Turn over in the book of Psalms, 
chapter 40. Psalms 40. Somebody read uh, verse 5. Psalms 40, verse 5. So God produces many wonderful works, and the psalmist says uh, that. They cannot be recounted. They are so many. And if he were able to, it says that they are more than can be numbered. Isaiah, he writes about the angels that surround the throne of God, and he says, there do they stand. And with twain wings they cover their face. And with twain wings they cover their feet and they cry, Holy, holy, holy. And one commentary says it is because they look down upon the globe of the earth and they are a witness to the many wonderful things that God is doing on the earth. And they are so wonderful that all the angels can cry is, Holy, holy, holy. Our God is holy. If you could try to recount the good works of God, they are too many to number. Even when you're in slavery. Even when you're in prison. Even when your roadmap seems to be taking you somewhere that you would not have wanted to go on your own. God is with you. I want to spend a few moments talking about God. God. Alpha and Omega. Before anything was, there was God. Charles Spurgeon, he wrote something very beautiful about the will of God, the will of God and the will of man. And in this, he, he expresses himself by saying, before anything was, there was only God and God's thoughts. And as God began to speak and create, who was there to advise God? No one was there. God did as he willed to do. And it was good, the Bible says. And it was perfect. Because God is only good. God is only perfection. And everything that God does, it is perfection. When we look at nature, it is perfection. It all works together in harmony. If God were to, to make the stars and cause them to rotate in a circular pattern... It would be excellent. But everything that he has crafted, that he has designed, the sphere of this world, it is perfection. And so, who are we as man to suggest as to what God should do 
with our lives. God is our creator. God has made us. He has formed us out of the dust of the earth, and he has placed us in our mother's womb, and he says, before you were formed, I've known you. And so everything about our lives, God is in control. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. I'm going to try to move a little quicker, but I want you to get the breadth of what I'm trying to say to you this morning. Romans 9 and chapter, uh, chapter 9, verse 16. Word of God says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. How many of you know that salvation does not depend upon your will or your will alone? Amen. Some people believe that all that I have to do is to believe. And if I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God, I shall be saved. Therefore, it is my choice, it is my will, whether or not I am saved or not. I'm here this morning to refute that. It is not your will alone. Otherwise, you could simply say, I don't want to be saved. I don't want to love God. I'm more powerful than God. But the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus Christ, he came to this earth, he stretched himself on Calvary's mountain, and his blood ran deep. And there is converting power in the blood of Jesus. In the verse here, Paul says, it is not of him that wills. It is not by your will. It is not by you running, but it is of God who shows mercy. God is so perfect in his form and in his person that even salvation flows from him. I see there's some that don't believe me yet. Let's continue to examine this thought. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Turn with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Word of God says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author means the creator. He is the author of our faith. Not only is the author of our faith, it says he is also the finisher of our faith. So it begins with Jesus, and it ends with Jesus. Let me share something with you this morning that might come as a surprise. Men, we are morally depraved creatures. There is no good in any of us. Someone once called Jesus good, and he says, Where thou for do you call me good? There is none good except my Father who is in heaven. 
We are debased. We were born in sin, shaped in iniquity. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Someone read that. 1 Corinthians 2, 14. So a natural man who is a lawless being who is born into sin, how can he understand the spiritual things of God? Unless God pours his spirit into man and allows him to be able to interpret spiritual things. God always begins by taking a step towards us first. We are naive if we believe that we are saved under our own will, under our own might, that I made a decision to walk or move towards God because my natural inclination is to move away from God. But it is the power of the Holy Spirit that pricks your heart, that touches you, that moves you into his, his holy place to where he can become intimate with you. Because God alone is good. God alone is great. natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. They're foolishness. How many of us can say before we came to the understanding of who God is that we thought that the Word of God was foolishness? I've heard many people say, you Christians, you just want to believe in God because he's a crutch for you. It's foolishness to them. They have not the ability to discern spiritual things. So we pray for them. We ask God to pour out his spirit upon them, to remove the scales from their eyes so that they might be able to see clearly who it is that gives them life and liberty. Speaking of Joseph sitting there in his prison cell, someone wrote these words. It says, trust him when dark doubts assail thee. Trust him when thy strength is small. Trust him when to simply trust him seems the hardest thing of all. Trust him. He is ever faithful. Trust him for his will is best. Trust him, for the heart of Jesus is the only place of rest. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13, someone read uh, verses 20 and 21, please. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21.
Hey. Amen. May the God of peace, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete. He makes you complete in that thing that is well-pleasing. Joseph was not complete. There was something that God was doing in his life to make him not fit for this earth, but make him fit for the new earth that we seek. There's some things in my life that God yet has to purge out of me. He's working on that. He's dealing with me in in ways that are unique to me alone. Sometimes I have to go through the valley. But even in the valley, he is yet there with me. And if I'm faithful to continue to serve him, to trust him, even in the valley, he will allow me to prosper, to find favor, to find grace. Turn back over to Genesis quickly. Genesis chapter 39. We were there in uh, verse 21. Verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of prison. And the keeper of prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. God is in control. God is in absolute and complete control of every one of our lives, of the whole plan of salvation. There is not one iota of the plan of salvation that he is disinterested in, that he does not participate in, because he loves us that much. Everything that Joseph did, he prospered because the Lord was with him. Finally, someone read for me Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. With that, we will prepare to close. Very short sentence. Matthew Chapter 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come. Father, your will be done. On this earth, right now, where we are, the same 
as your will is being performed and carried out in heaven. The will of God is absolute. It is complete. The plan that he has. How long has this earth been in existence without fail? Do you think that God gets worried? He gets worried that uh, the axis will, will come unkiltered and the oceans will, will suddenly flood the land masses and population of people. No, God is unconcerned. Because he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. There is no other beside him. This is interesting. Francis Xavier, 1506-1552, he wrote something that was translated by Edward Caswell in 1814. It's called The Love for God. I find it to be very beautiful. He says, My God, I love thee, not because I hope for heaven thereby, nor yet because who love thee not are lost eternally. Thou, O oh my Jesus, thou didst me upon the cross embrace. For me did you bear the nails and spear and manifold disgrace and griefs and torments numberless and sweat of agony. Yeah, death itself, and all for me, who was thine enemy. Then why, O oh blessed Jesus Christ, should I not love thee well? Not for the sake of winning heaven, nor of escaping hell. Not from the hope of gaining aught. Not seeking a reward. But as thyself has loved me, O oh ever-loving Lord. So would I love thee, dearest Lord, and in thy praise will sing, solely because thou art my God and my most loving King. God, I don't praise you because I want heaven or because I want to escape hell, but I praise you and I love you because of what you did for me. The sacrifice that you made, giving all there on Calvary. Even yet, while I was your enemy. And for that, I will love you, my most loving King. Let us stand.